32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United, United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county. Where the sun always shines. California. This week's question. Why did the council destroy a unique wetland habitat? I'm back. Woohoo! And I'm better than ever. It was very lonely. Um, Even though I had Andrew playing a stellar, vocal, amazing performance. Yeah. Andrew Dulcetones Mangan. <laughs> um, very much enjoyed your contribution, Andrew, the last couple of podcasts. Thank you. Really. Glad to have you back. <laughs> um, so, slow news week. <laughs> Did something happen? A few things happened. We're g- um, but... Um, Let's lead with the most important. JLo walked in the Versace show. Yes, I actually got a text about this <laughs> while I was away uh, from my buddy uh, Karina, who was like, "Did you see the Versace show in the green dress once again?" Um, bringing memories back to me about when Jerry Halliwell wore the dress. Did you see the Jayla. comparisons? There was a meme made. Oh, I felt so scabby. Of what? Women shouldn't be compared to each other, obviously. Yada yada, but like it was just. Uh, when you buy what you buy order off the internet and what arrives and it's JLo and then Jerry beside her. Well, I mean, <laughs> she shouldn't have worn an iconic dress after somebody iconic wears it and then But like, how, how did you decide? How that, are like, we discussing fashion news from 10 years ago? <laughs> you know, we just... One of the biggest weeks that's ever happened. <laughs> Jerry and JLo, top in the bill. Anyway, JLo is amazing. Um, obviously, I don't think Andre's a fan, but I've been trying to win her over uh, over the duration of this podcast series. Um, Hustlers, I just can't. It's it's amazing. And I really, really hope um, Jennifer Lopez gets... I'm going tomorrow for my birthday. Uh, oh, it's, it's your birthday tomorrow? Day after Christmas in September, everyone. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, stop it. Leave yeah. her queens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, this is a rambling happy, podcast today. Happy, happy nearly birthday. Uh, but yeah, Hustlers, what a film. And definitely J- um, J-Lo should get an Oscar nomination. She is unbelievable in well it. she missed F for Made in Manhattan so it's her time payback <laughs> but it has been a busy week um, I was in the States for two weeks soaking up some down south vibes um, in where was I New Orleans New, yes in Louisiana and Mississippi and Tennessee uh, two states I'd been to Memphis before but I'd never been to Louisiana and Mississippi And but have you ever been to me <laughs> But it was very informative. Um, I was over there for uh, initially this this journalism conference, the Online News Association uh, National Conference, which is in New Orleans. And I'm mentioning that because of a lot of the discourse throughout the conference was all about 2020, you know, the election, about trust in news, about polling data, about all these things that journalists are really concerned about. And you, I mean, one of the things, um, you know, that's very present uh, you know within journalism in the states right now and you can absolutely uh, see why is a lot of the kind of talks were around you know self-care and burnout and all that kind of stuff because journalists are you know having this wild uh, three years of their lives and particularly those working in the political sphere and this week just brings home again the amount of news that is happening on a daily basis and also how difficult it is to really explain to people and discern what's happening um, and there was a lot of mixed 
you know, commentary around what Nancy Pelosi was actually saying with regards to the launch of this impeachment inquiry. You know, is she saying that these committee hearings are kind of ongoing and then when they wrap up, they're going to kind of debate whether or not to bring forward impeachment or is this actually something seismic? And it kind of, you know, when you um, break down the messaging around it, um, you know, yes, it is. Is this the beginning of the end? Why is the um, stuff around Ukraine so crucial? Is this something just more simple to pin a type of treasonous act on and all that kind of stuff? Um, and will it benefit Trump? You know, is the kind of his his strength seems to be always when he's in attack, attack and defense mode simultaneously. And does this make things more um, divisive? Well, you only have to look at the um, plan for Boris Johnson for when the Supreme Court came back. There was a full attack on all the Supreme Court members ready to go Mm. straight away. So like it's and that riles the base. So it's like this. You kind of see this as, oh, finally, this is happening. But it's being optimised by them to rile the base and get the kind of support continuing yeah, and, and growing. Yeah, and that's inevitable, but I suppose it has to it has to be done. And what's interesting is how, you know, Pelosi was kind of positioned within the Democrats as somebody who's much more cautious and much more part of the kind of old school, you know, establishment aspect of the Democratic Party and this impeachment process was been, you know, called for by what is perceived to be the more like quote unquote radical element of the Democratic Party although you know are people really radical if you're part of the Democratic Party but whatever but certain people within uh, the party maybe younger people like AOC and all the kind of stuff constantly calling for impeachment mm-hmm. and and actually what they were saying and, and fighting for uh, for the past you know since the um, the last el- elections uh, y- you know the the the, the it has come to pass and what's interesting to me is that a lot of the time these the the kind of the parts of political parties who are really advocating for you know change to be a bit more radical um, are, are kind of silenced so much and the idea is you know proceed with caution la 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 even even when things are absolutely extraordinary and people are trying to do business as usual kind of processes like Pelosi and co and then it comes to pass anyway. And you, so it's an interesting moment for the Democrats as well that perhaps they should have listened to all these people in their party earlier who were pushing for this kind of stuff. Um, because they've... Kind of what a shoulda though. It's like yeah, angels. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, um, oh, I don't know, maybe it'll be seen to be a more kind of measured take, you know, the straw that broke the camel camels back and all this kind of stuff with regards to the allegations from the whistleblower that um, Trump was trying to get dirt on Biden from the Ukrainian... Premier, um, but even then, crazy. in terms of the media cycle, I was searching, I was looking for what happened, and uh, in the week to do up the week it was, and I was literally looking, and I was like, that was only yesterday. Like that yeah. feels like three weeks ago that was reported. How is that only yesterday? Yeah, well, Tuesday this week was definitely about 102 hours long, um, and obviously another thing that happened uh, 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 this week was um, the ru- ruling um, court ruling in the UK that the pro- proroguing prorogation um, suspension of parliament basically was illegal. <laughs> <laughs> and, but uh, did you see the media then 
coming out the Tory supporting media, media. so the BBC I think didn't cover it but there was the Sun um, saying yes so what it's illegal but so is Bre- holding back Brexit mm. and it's literally like how have the three paper, the Daily Express and the Daily Mail have you spun yeah. this into like yes yeah, so what I think they're just so far down the rabbit hole now um, and it's kind of very difficult to talk about Brexit when you're pre-recording something because anything can have happened <laughs> by the time it's out but um, needless to say um, you know the the Brexit shit show is ongoing and then le- you know the Labour Party voting against taking a <clears throat> a Remain position and all that kind of stuff even though kind of the keys to the kingdom are being given to them I think there's going to be a massive conversation after after all this comes down whenever that is around UK um, or British political processes like maybe they should writing down their constitution yes maybe yeah. that should happen and yeah. and, and you know, um, it was interesting to see there was a piece in Politico this week about how to fix politics. And Astra Taylor wrote a piece about um, Ireland's citizens assemblies and, and uh, constitutional conventions and stuff. And it's interesting to see that in an international context being pitched as a way to fix politics. And when you see um, what's been happening in Britain over the past three years, three and a half years, obviously that would feel like a way to go forward. So I think there may be big shifts around that. Yeah. But what's going to happen in the meantime. Imagine you were doing your leaving cert or your GCSEs and Brexit was coming up. That would be a nightmare. I <laughs> <laughs> to answer. answer doesn't like imagine, imagine that was on your history syllabus. Yeah, well, like, and then the next day and then the next era and then this happened. It'd be oh, like, right, oh my God, you, imagine yeah. having to like, because obviously learning is usually about just memorising shit. You'd be bananas. Yeah, it's it's a maelstrom. Um, also this week, uh, the ongoing hoo-ha over men being annoyed at Greta Thunberg for um, trying to make a change in the world. What you I kind of think it's far away that all that kind of men slagging young girls. And then Ryan Tuberty comes out with the clangers of clangers um, and his whole discourse around Greta of like, maybe she should just go and watch a movie. Yeah, what I find interesting about this um, is Jennifer O'Connell had a good piece um, in the Irish Times about it, about, you know, why are men so afraid of this young woman? And what I always find so interesting is that certain men, let's say on Twitter or in the media, will say something like, well, you know, maybe, you know, she, you know, maybe we should be concerned about her, la la. And they're so embryonic in their thinking that they haven't even realised that what they're saying has been said a million times before everybody has moved beyond that think a little bit more deeply Mm -hmm. um, and don't just think you know oh but you know maybe he was just concerned about her it's like the entire paternalistic approach to how young women act is part of the problem like please think beyond your first draft thought of what you think is original and if if you're saying what Fox News have apologised for you know you're in the shits yeah but I just find it mad that a lot of people just like even like commentators in the media just can't think beyond like it just goes to show how how kind of I don't know, small in their thinking they are or something. Although my favourite incarnation of David Quinn so far throughout his career is definitely (laughs) anti-environmentalist David Quinn. (laughs) It's just so pathetic and hilarious. I love it. Um, 
I, it's just the you know that I, I don't know what is behind it's like what is I want to go for dinner with him <laughs> um, I just need to get into his mind no but uh, <laughs> and it's, oh it's very sometimes I don't follow David Quinn on Twitter but sometimes I like look at his Twitter page and he had a thing yesterday it's it's funny because it's like are you kind of smart and ironic enough to be trolling people or is this genuinely what you think or are you just kind of hitting these little talking points because you see other people do them and you're trying to kind of engage with this general mess of like things that like you know right wing people are against you know you know environmentalists and you know eco radicals but anyway <laughs> this tweet this tweet that he said this tweet that he said was this holiday is really was um <laughs> Soon it'll only be the cranky middle-aged man asking the tough questions. <laughs> it's like amazing satire. It's brilliant. So keep at it, David Quinn. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. Um, very, very amusing. Okay, closer, closer to home. Um, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. So closer to home. DCC have passed a motion to. Uh, limit the building of hotels in favour of cultural spaces. Now, what's interesting about that is obviously um, the motion was put forward and there are issues about limiting uh, um, development. Um, There's legally the way it has to be done. So there is a thing about that. But uh, when it came to actually, everyone was like, yeah, let's do this. We are supporting this. This is what our uh, our Con- or what constituents want mm-hmm. this is what people of Dublin want to hear and then Richard Shakespeare who's head of planning was like yeah well it's up to the management of DCC to change any of that um, development and we're not going to so and then all the commentary and articles are like the motion was passed anyways and yeah. it's like what the fucking point well, this of is, like, we're gonna- elected officials if you're going to have a management team who are appointed who have all the control and you're literally letting loose uh, these councillors to answer to their constituents but then you have this management team who are literally seven men controlling all the decisions. Well I don't think they're all men there's like I think three women on the executive okay, and Dublin City Council um, but um, this is the intrinsic problem with local government right it's like you elect all these councillors and then there's an executive that seems to just do do dismiss anything they yeah, aren't and, into and or have, disregard and have a lot more control and actually today on this Tala episode we're going to be talking um, about just that issue with Carly Bailey the Social Democrats she's going to be in studio talking about how councillors m- do one thing and the executive does another I do have to say the communications of the um Dublin City Council management group, the executive or whatever, are appalling. You know, in, in terms of how they actually, um, how, how they actually commu- communicate. Um, with councillors and the public. With councillors and the public and yeah. the press. You know, the statement that um, was put out uh, in the aftermath, I think, of the Bernard Shaw closure when they were just kind of saying like, you know, this isn't really happening. Cultural space isn't really being infringed upon. Um, and I saw Ray Yates, who is the arts officer on Twitter. Somebody asked him, you know, who's 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 actually saying that? Yeah. And he just said the press office, you know, as if the press office is kind of just magicking up these statements and they're not actually interpreting what what has been there being asked to put out there. Mm-hmm. So that was this kind of very, you know, arrogant response. And again, Richard Shakespeare's commentary with regards to the hotel thing, it's like, well, you know, it's an exe- it's, a, it's a management decision, so you can talk about it, but ultimately we're, we're not, not going to change city yeah. plan. The arrogance of that, obviously, Owen Keegan's communications um, as the chief executive are, you know, tend to, you know, 
uh, be on the arrogant side. Mm. Um, and I just think, you know, we really need to assess um, who's holding these people accountable. And who and, they're and, answer, like, there's no, they're answerable to no one, it yeah. seems, I next mean, to the president. And um, also, you know, we'll be talking later about what happened in Tala with regards to the wetland. The statement that the council put out there as well, Dublin South Council, was like appalling guys you need to learn how to communicate better you are failing at it very very badly and to be more dynamic and I spent a couple of hours trying to figure out how this management and executives were appointed or assigned and it it basically is you work your you you the per- response I got was oh there are 30 years in here jobbers like you're working your way up through your department and then when you get to the department you're on the executive so it's literally there's no dynamicism being put into it it's literally if you stay there long enough and you work up and obviously you're talented etc but there's no fresh thoughts there's no fresh people there's no like people who might have an, another way of doing it and you get into this habit of well that's the way it's done and that's the way it's always been done if you're relying on people who are just there for 30 years and who are not elected assigned appointed whatever yeah and this is I mean this is an issue with the civil service across the board that it's basically seniority is based on longevity yeah and um, you know of course there are plenty of really exceptional people doing good stuff but a lot of the time they are the exception because when you are in a, in a, as you're saying, like when you're in a place for so long, there can be a sense of institutionalization, defensiveness, you know, just holding w- your post. Yeah, and repeat repetition of what's been done before. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, there's, you know, you know, it, it, I think especially right now is the conversation around um, the plan for the city and what it's going to look like. Um, is in people's and minds. That seems to be a knee-jerk reaction to what's happening day by day rather than a vision. Yeah, I mean, there is no blueprint for Dublin and that's playing out right now. Moving on to other little bits and bobs. Expose is cancelled on, I'm still calling it TV3, what's it called? Virgin, Virgin Media. Um, which, Very sad, which is quite sad. Which is it's really like sad, end of an era. End of an era, a lot of women employed um, and again, it feels like women's uh, interests are often dismissed and obviously there's reasons and it's all about money but like again a female focusing down that is toast um, so sorry to uh, um, all the expose people working there um, I hope this week isn't too hard for you all um, Irish Rail telling people to go to work at different times because they can't fit them on their trains and then they're like we've ordered trains 41 of them carriages they'll be ready in 2022 <laughs> cool <laughs> that's deadly it is mad how congested public transport is not even at pe- or mostly at peak times I suppose um, I always find the red line Lewis is just Jesus Christ it is so jammers all the time um, so you know I guess if people need to keep moving out further and further. They have to keep traveling in and in. And obviously there's a conversation about decentralization that's come up with uh, jobs being looked to move outside of Dublin. But if you're going to go on and on about all this employment you're creating, you need to be creating the structures to handle it as well. Yeah, maybe they should build housing in the city center. Um, Lady Hill's spider brooch. Yeah, it's been... <laughs> there's a lot of conversation about the pair of brooches back and the fact that she gave... Did it ever go away? Did, well, it kind of did, but that spider brooch has put it back on all the fashionistas' lips. You heard it here first. <laughs> I'm into it. I love a good brooch. Love a good Tara brooch. Um, oh, I love... Yeah. Now that I'm like Queen Gwaelgore, I, I love Ireland, go on the Dubliners, etc., etc. I'm literally like, anything that's Irish, give it to me. Yeah, Tara brooches rock. 
Um, oh my God, this is, I thought this was really bananas. Uh, Aoife Gallagher and Ben Hall from Storyful did a story um, about these posters that were appearing around Limerick, which were anti-Islam um, and women posters and was like, Islam is right about women and that they were coming from 4chan and where people can post anonymously. Um, and uh, yeah, it's quite worrying that this is it's like obviously the right wing, uh, the rise of the right wing is very visible right now. Yeah, if um, Aoife Gallagher does amazing work in Storyful actually and um, Connor Gallagher, no relation I don't think, and Sir Pollock had a good piece uh, on Monday in the Irish Times about um, how the far right in Ireland were exploiting uh, things in Uchtharaid. We're going to get into that in a later podcast. The Hail Mary was voted Ireland's <laughs> favourite prayer at the National Ploughing Championships. Um, good to see a woman excelling in the field, <laughs> literally. Um, Sorry, whenever you think that like I saw this tweet it was literally like Father Ted is an actual documentary <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, that principal from Blackrock uh, Alan McGinty uh, labelling school strikes a tad infuriating tad infuriating um, and urging, urging their sons not to take part yeah but like it just goes to show that like Disconnect. Disconnect and the privilege. It's like... Oh, Blackrock College, privilege. I, I know, I can't believe I put it together. <laughs> uh, Lyric FM, uh, there was a petition to try and save it because it was announced that it might be toast as well. God, Lyric FM and Expose. So do sign the petition if you do get a chance. Oh, it's not going anywhere right now. I mean, I Not think right it's now. It's like RT are constantly, you know... Looking at things, but I think to voice support on social media and in the petition would be worthwhile. Yeah, they had another kind of flew a kite a while ago about getting rid of the orchestras as well. So maybe don't get rid of the really high quality stuff and get rid of some of the shit stuff or to eat. There's your business plan. I am obsessed with WeWork. I'm, there are not enough articles on Adam Newman. I just want the HBO documentary series slash 10 ep- po- episode podcast right now. Um, and things have been moving very quickly for this company that doesn't really have a viable business model, operates like a tech company, but is in fact just renting office space um, to the point that it has become the largest um, commercial um, leaseholder in Manhattan. And I think the second largest in central London next to the British government. Also expanding its operations massively in Dublin, including the nine floors it's going to be taking on the former central bank building um, on Dame Street. Um, but their IPO ended up as a complete shit show and they've had to stall it. All of these amazing articles coming out about Adam Newman's behaviour. like Catholic sex all over the place. People pulling out all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> amazing <sighs> articles about Adam Newman's behaviour, including uh, one meeting that he had about layo- staff layoffs that he, th- that he then brought in a tray of tequila shots and your man from Run DMC to sing It's Lock. Tricky in the room. <laughs> like what? Bananas. Um, stuff around his drug use his wife another of my fav- top five saps in the world right now um, firing uh, firing staff based on their energy um, and so on uh, cousin of Gwyneth Paltrow there you go so it's basically the, the, the goop of the tech world now the real news he's been um, shoved out he's had to step oh, down yeah. no the actual real news oh right Chris Jenner recreated the dynasty campaign and I'm absolutely devastated that I didn't get to do it before her and now I can never do it because she's taken my chance raging 
Okay, that's an important intervention. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. But can I just finish on the WeWork thing? <laughs> um, he has been uh, forced out, basically, poor Adam Newman, and they're trying to figure out, um, the board members are trying to figure out how to kind of proceed and what's going to happen to all those leases when they run out of cash. Um, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, a couple of things, finally, this has been a really busy news week. Obviously, Facebook... Uh, it post by Nick Clegg on Facebook's you know news service thingy um, that it'll let its politicians violate rules on speech if uh, considers the political speech newsworthy. So who gets to be a politician and who gets to say that? Um, ugh, look, also, there was a low debate Facebook having questions asked about is this violating something? No, it isn't. Um, about the Ukraine Facebook page that had like yeah, 1.1 million fans of I Love America and then the day after it was like everything deleted. It was like it, it did violate. It was like Facebook, you are self-regulating and you're doing a shit job. Yeah, they're coming out and saying that um, politicians get to violate uh, uh, community standards if the political speech is newsworthy. I mean, I just don't think that's going to end well. Anyway, Facebook trash. Do you know what did end well? Your shout out at the Mercury Music Prize. Oh yeah, I was very surprised by that. How fab. How fab. Um, Lauren Laverne. On behalf of D Fontaine. Yeah, so um, Fontaine's DC. Uh, D Fontaine's <laughs> is the pizza. Well, I think you know where my heart lies. Um, yes, and I felt like Fontaine's DC maybe should have won the Mercury, um, but Dave was a worthy winner as well. And yeah, randomly, Lauren Laverne uh, gave me a little shout out as she was introducing it. So thanks, pal. girl. Uh, and finally, the currency launches. Tom Lyons and Inkyo's uh, new business-focused um, journalism site so looks good yeah it looks pretty good um, they're going to focus on not loads of stories just good stories yeah and which is a good thing I think for media to start thinking about rather than just whacking things out to get there and get the clicks it's like and I think Dublin Inquirer are quite similar they yeah. you don't just have the news story right away they have like the investigative stuff so I think yeah it's about quality and depth and I think that um, readers will read um, long stuff uh, so yeah. Why are you grinning? Over I just there? keep having sex jokes in my mind. I'm like, no, stop making sex jokes. <laughs> the currency dot news. If you want to check that out, um, congratulations to Tom Lines and Inkyo because it uh, looks looks like an awful lot of work went into that. Okay, let's go. And now it's time for Talifacts. Talifacts. Uh, this week's episode is all about Tala, the secret county of Ireland, <laughs> as yet to be designated. And we're going to run you through a lot of Tala facts right now, but they're all fascinating. Fact number one, Andrea is from Tala. Woo! It's my homeland. The population... Okay, so I was loads of different figures on this because everybody always says there's 100,000 people living in Tala. The population, according to the census um, 2016, is nearly 80,000 in the immediate area. But in the electoral area, it's over 103,000, meaning Tala has a larger population than Galway uh, and Limerick. And check this out. Its population in 1970 was around 6,000 people. So that's when my mum and grown. dad moved into Tala, into Kingswood, it was, they were moving to the countryside. Like they literally were moving out to the hinterlands. And that's a fun fact. My, that's like my parents, um, when they left, this, they used to live in the city centre when they were... Um, I think just before they got married and um, they then moved to Lucan and the same thing it was like a little country, country village yeah, yeah. 
Um, Not anymore. Tala had one of the earliest settlements in on the east of Ireland, dating from the first century. And I'm not talking about the Domino's in the Square Shopping Centre, which in 2006 was named the pizza chain's most profitable outlet in the world. It was the first <laughs> Domino's to hit over three million euro turnover internationally and makes more pizzas per hour than any other Domino's anywhere. Between that and Krispy Kreme, what is going on with our doughy lives? There's a walnut tree in St. Mary's Priory in Tala hundreds of years old and still bears fruit like my loins. <laughs> I'm like I'm obsessed with these references today. I don't know what, what I'm talking about. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Continue on. Quick. <laughs> Tala Castle. Tala Castle. Tala Tala Castle dates from 1320s much like it Um, planning in the 1960s of course began to transform Tala from a small village to a large town and then into what it is today is the largest suburb of Dublin Tala the best uh, okay, cool. <laughs> and the, um, it's home of it's the home of Shamrock Rovers, the National Basketball Arena, where loads of raves used to happen. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, Scooter and everything played in the National Back Basketball in Arena. Ireland, um, the Square. That's a pyramid, um, and it has a song about it. There's a song by Ackle called "The Square." What's who's Ackle? They're a band. Okay. Um, and it also has the Civic Theatre. It's got two theatres, actually, Tala Theatre and Civic Theatre, I think. Yeah, we're very cultured. Um, it has serious footballing pedigree, including Robbie Keane and Richard Dunn. And Ronaldo played in Tala Stadium. Um, That's the type of calibre we attract. The CEO of Qantas Airlines, Alan Joyce, is from Tala. <coughs> This is my favourite. It used to be the home. Now, okay, before I start, there is no question as to the reason why I'm a Sashimot because listen to the amount of clubs that are were in Tala. Coco's, arguably the best nightclub spelled N-I-T-E in the world. <laughs> I used to be the light jockey there. Uh, Excuse me? Yeah. Light jockey? Yeah, LJ Glitter I was called. I was given a job <laughs> to do the lights in Coco's because I went to it so much. I was there on a Tuesday, a Thursday, a Friday, a Saturday and they literally like, do you want a job? You might as well get paid while you're here. It was the greatest club that's ever existed. Nightclub, not club club. It oh, it was just phenomenal. And anyone Where who, was Coco's? Coco's is where the Aldi or Lidl is now, just on the Belgard Road across uh, from Kingswood's. So it was literally across the road. So if I was like watching TV and bored, I'd be like, oh, sure, look, I'll go to Coco's. It was so much fun. Loads of my friends met their husbands there. It, they had phone parties. They were ahead of the time. They also had, when you went in, you got a ticket and you got a dinner at 2 a.m. Oh, class! It was just the best. But also, right, Coco's was the best. We also have Level 4 in the Aberley, Playhouse, Club Diva, Spa Well. The list goes on. And I saw there's a reunion happening in, uh, of all these clubs because it was the greatest time that's ever existed. And I think it's the nostalgia for those clubs that have brought me on to be the session mod I am today. So I thank you, Tala, for making me <laughs> session mod extraordinaire. Aidan Turner, a.k.a. Paul Dark, is a Californian, as is Brendan Courtney, who was from the same state as Andrea and went to the same school. And he used to babysit me. <laughs> we, I went to say he loves that. <laughs> loves that. Um, Tala Hospital is in Tala. Um, and it's really superb. I put that in because it is a really good hospital. Okay, good. Um, the ta- I am so proud. I couldn't get over how proud I am. This The Tala strategy. Um, this is the kind of the seismic um, influence that Tala has in Irish politics. So the, the Tala strategy was 
kind of a strategy that laid the foundations for the Celtic Tiger really this one Fine Gael decided in 1987 that as an opposition party they wouldn't oppose the economic strategies and policies of Fianna Fáil's then minority government kind of switcheroo version of today when Fianna Fáil is an, is an opposition party goes along with Fine Gael's minority government um, and so the Tala strategy was kind of that vibe um, and that's kind of what led to um the boom so great. and also the crash well done everyone um, and in the context of a lot of today's discourse around creative spaces Virginia House is an interesting part of Tala's cultural history this was a farmhouse from 1837 so pre-famine on Blessington Road and in 1996 it was restored and became the Tala Community Arts Centre but in 2003 it was sold demolished and an apartment block was built on the site sound familiar? like today <laughs> like when uh, one of the main things that I'm, I'm not sure of any other area in Dublin has or Ireland has its own bloody TV show Hello California I'm not sure if that was up for an Emmy but I'm sure it would have got one if they hadn't known about it <laughs> <laughs> so there you are Tala a lot going on This week, there was an issue with the wetlands in Tala when silt that was drained from the nearby pond was dumped on top of an ecosystem that had been uh, monitored and uh, surveyed, etc. by Kalianis, who is joining us now. He's a science officer um, with HIS and he is also a research associate with Trinity College. Hi, Collie, how are you? I'm good. I've had better weekends, but I'm, I'm getting there. Um, I'd say so. I'd say you've been uh, talking up a storm, which is brilliant. Um, but we're going to ask you to talk a bit more. Would you be able to give us a bit of a background of what you've been doing in the wetlands for the last while before this weekend? Yeah, so uh, about, a, about a year ago, we started a, a programme with the Heritage Officer in South Dublin County Council. She's been brilliant. Um, and they wanted to kind of revigorate wetlands around the, the parks that we have because our parks are essentially just green deserts they're just grass so there's nothing really there for biodiversity so they wanted to put in some ponds and some wetlands and we agreed to, to help out and I started surveying the local areas all, so I just basically essentially walking around at night checking to see if I can spot frogs if there's frogs there I mean, you put a pond in they'll use it and that's kind of a very basic uh, description of what I was doing. So I was looking for sites, for potential sites to put wetlands in and ponds in, and I stumbled across this uh, abandoned kind of uh, area up at the back of Sean Walsh Park that had miraculously turned itself into a wetland over 20 years, and it was hopping with life, hopping with all sorts of creatures. And, you know, not just the stuff that we were interested in, which is the frogs and newts that we wanted kind of in the HSI, we want to promote their well-being and help them get along as they live along beside us but also like your solitary bees your pollinators all the stuff that we're interested in in um in protecting nationwide with the with the uh the pollinator plan that's been implemented by many councils so and it was just alive all these creatures and and wildflowers and willow trees and it was just uh, amazing so I kind of ran back to the council immediately and just said, listen, there's, this has really good potential to be a, a little, you know, a jewel in the crown of Tala's biodiversity. And again, huge support from, 
from uh, the heritage officer and it was then included in the draft plan for Tala moving forward into 2026 so I thought that the whole place was in the bag and the next phase was to get in with my colleagues from Trinity College Zoology and Botany and go through like with a fine tooth comb and and get official um, surveys in of what was living there and and uh, and then they finally get it rubber stamped and completely protected then but obviously that's not going to happen now because of the mix up in the council and the just de- the devastation that the, that that happened to what, what can you explain what happened with the mix up they just went in with dump trucks full of silt and, and rubbish that's within the silt. Like, imagine you scraped up the bottom. Of, do you ever see the Liffey at low tide or any of our urban city rivers or canals that, when they drain them? Do you imagine that drained and everything, mud, tires, bits of bikes, everything that was in there was dumped onto Put into a truck and dumped onto, onto it. You know, and it's like, and I walked around the corner, I saw this and it was like a punch in the stomach. And, and then, like, after the initial, like, you know, emotional response of just being devastated, I kind of just, like, you know what, feck it, I'm not, I'm, I'm done with this kind of thing, you know. And I just actually wanted to walk away from it because I was like, what, you can't win. You can't win. I just thought, like, that, that, that's it. There's no point. And then, walking away a little bit more, I got angry. I was like, no it's just happening too much every week we see it and especially with my colleagues we work we try a lot of us do this stuff for free in our spare time we have our own jobs and then we do this for free I don't get paid for doing this stuff and every week you see another hedgerows chopped down forests are going to be felled uh, our, our, our mountains are on fire Killarney National Park is being overrun by rhododendron it's just one thing after another and I just got really, really angry, and I said, "I'm not going to let this go." And that's why I kicked off. Like I basically contacted everybody I could that I, I know, and just said, "Listen, we have to do something about this." And it was in the doll yesterday. So at the very least, even though it's a completely crappy situation that and completely heartbreaking, at the very least, hopefully now councils will start taking climate crisis biodiversity crisis, all that stuff that a lot of them are signed up for to get their little boost on Twitter and their little green flag in the corner, that they start taking it seriously and start not only, you know, going out for the for the social media clicks and likes, start going out and protecting what they have there, looking around their own districts, looking in their parks, improving uh, spots for wildlife uh, in, in these areas that they are the caretakers of. You know, and it's really important that they do that. And there's experts there who will give up their time for free, gladly. And there's no reason, even in the middle of the city centres, and that place was a prime example of it. There was no reason for why we can't live happily alongside nature, and nature can do really well. That place was the way it was because it was left alone for 20 years, and it took over itself. Now, even if you had helped it along, it would have been even better. And there was stuff you could do to improve it for nature. But it's just a testament to show if if they stop this obsession with tidiness and pruning everything and making everything super neat, nature will bounce back. But I, I hope I hope now with this after being raised in the doll that they'll start thinking twice before they level the next green space. Kali, can I ask you something? Like I I only um, heard about 
that the existence of this wetlands after seeing what you were saying on Twitter that basically this place existed that it essentially rewilded itself you were talking to the council about protecting it and then the another wing of the council essentially comes along and dumps this silt on it destroying uh, the entire um, ecosystem that, that was there and obviously there is um, a disregard for climate and nature um, quite uh, you know dominant uh, throughout um, our country I suppose and we've been covering little aspects of, of local issues with regards to clim- climate or nature and so on mm. but at what point it's hard to discern sometimes like what is ideological and what is incompetent obviously incompetence kind of can peter down from a lack of care or disregard um, we see all the time you know terrible design um, interacting with um things like rivers or canals for example like a, a lot of conversation happening around Cork about how the flood defences yeah, there are, are you know cutting down the, the essentially banks of um, rivers and, and the, the impact that that has on nature but how much do you think this is just stupidity I'm not excusing it at all how much do you think it is stupidity or incompetence or crossed wires none of those are forgivable how much do you think is a more ideological disregard for what we have it depends on the situation the the stuff that happened with me is purely yeah, a, a pure incompetence uh, with a with a dash of engineers running departments that include uh, uh, heritage and biodiversity uh, implementation that needs to take care engineers don't care about that they care about straight lines and they care about as little work as possible so if you have a little maintenance, as little maintenance as possible. They don't want to be out chopping trees and tri- and trimming them and all that. They'd rather just cut them down and be rid of them. Mm. Makes sense? Yeah. So you have heritage officers and people on the ground who are brilliant and really trying to, you know what I mean, the staff are kind of going, oh my God, because you have the higher ups there who, who are told that they have to implement climate, uh, me- uh, climate crisis measures and all the good stuff, the, the pollinator plants, all that good stuff that we need. But they'll do it to the bare minimum and they'll do it again. And I keep saying it just for a bit of greenwashing. Mm. Whilst at the same time doing all this destructive stuff behind behind closed doors, so to, so to speak. The stuff with abandon now, for example, there's, there's places in England and in Europe where they're reversing what was done in Ireland in the abandon. Instead of walling rivers, they're knocking down the walls and they're letting the rivers meander again which is the part of the natural flood defences of these places. They're putting in flor- uh, uh, forests further upstream. See, there's natural solutions to these issues, but they don't want to hear it because it's, and that's the ideo- uh, ideological problem, because they don't want to hear it because, first of all, jobs for the boys, you know, you know yourself, somebody's going to get a contract to go in there and do a lot of work. And second of all, it's, it's probably handier for them to do that it's it takes effort and it takes you have to employ ecologists and 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 have people sit down and plan it out long term it's not a quick solution a nature-based solution but it does work and also it works for generations and generations with no maintenance it looks after itself it also These probably the, requires a shift in thinking you know because a lot is, of, that's a lot, what, that yeah. was my next point it's but, just the attitude in Ireland we, our, our whole mindset 
from especially from local authorities and government our whole mindset in this country needs to readjust and and we need young people in there and we need young people who are passionate about nature and know their stuff to go in there and start shaking things up and also we need people in local communities and local neighborhoods to not just roll their eyes and go, oh, they're doing it again, to kick up blue mortar every time and fight for every leaf and every twig. You know, I mean, it, it's super important that we change, completely change our attitude in this country. It really needs it. Because with regards to things that may, with, with that shift in thinking, like oftentimes I think that... Um some people who are in charge of the green spaces like see things that need to be manicured and when you look at the conversations happening in the UK even around grass verges on roads for example and how um, in some parts of the UK they're just allowing wildflowers to grow again and just have it be a little bit more natural which I think when some people see that they think it's they understand the aesthetic and the ecology of it other people may look at it and just see it as like scruffy or messy and how that's an attitude change that we need to have as well but i was just wondering oh, just a couple more things on the wetlands itself how big was was it in i don't know acreage or whatever you measure it in about four acres if you were to look at it, like in about half a football pitch right was. Of, uh, of of which isn't like in the greater greater scheme of things isn't a massive space to give over to, to nature, but the amount of animals that were ma- using it as a resource in the area was incredible. So you know we're, we're talking about like last last spring I was down there for the amphibian mating season, and we counted five hundred uh, breeding adult pairs of of frogs in the middle like and that's what a three-minute walk from the square in Talla and the main road, you know, and a housing estate all around, and there's 500 of them in there. Like, you wouldn't get that up the Dublin Mountains. So it was just just a little perfect pocket that, um, you know, it's just an absolute shame. And I don't, like, we're, we're, we're a small society that, like, are fairly specialised because we only deal with amphibians and, and reptiles in Ireland, and we haven't got that many... But we're we're conservationists, not activists. We're practical conservationists. We want to be out digging ponds, not arguing about stuff being buried under silt. I don't want to be doing this. There's loads of people who are lobbyists and brilliant and have better voices than I have who are out there doing a really good job. I am a digger. I want to get in there and I want to put ponds in to give these animals a home. I don't want to be... like, I don't want to be shouting on the radio or shouting on the television about this. I, I'd rather be out doing practical work. But it needs to be said, and I think it's 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 getting to the stage now where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna need more houses, obviously, for people to live. But if they don't start including nature into all these projects and all their expansion, we're just doing ourselves and our future generations a tremendous disservice. It's it's and it's a disgrace in this day and age. And we know how important biodiversity is, and we know how how much we are linked to the natural world. That we're that our officials who are charged with looking after these spaces aren't doing a good enough job. They just aren't. Collie, can I just ask you one final question? You know, when I saw that thing on Twitter and the video that you put of all of this beautiful space and all of the animals that are now under this dirt, mucky, muddy silt, uh, which is heartbreaking. I was just wondering what emotional toll it's taken on you I feel like um, I was on Morning Ireland the other day and I nearly cried on national radio that was that was the, the, 
that was you know it's just every time I talk about it it's uh, I feel like I lost a friend if that makes sense have you ever had a, a bereavement of a friend Diane I feel that way and my colleagues feel that way because it's it's rare to come across these places it's especially rare to come across them in urban areas and when it's classified as wasteland or just land that hasn't been used for the council and you have a shot at saving it and you see it included in plans and you're like oh my god we've done it it's great and then like when you're walking around a place like that and you know i would have been up there once or twice a month just at different stages of the year just to see what i could see so when we went into the formal process of, of surveying it with the with the trinity heads that I'd be able to say, look, this is what we should be looking for at this time of year. And you become attached to these animals. You become, oh, my God, this is here and that's here. And look at the the local foxes is hanging around. And it's, it, it's. Um, I feel, I feel like I've lost, uh, I feel like I'm in a, a state of grief after bereavement. And, um, yeah, it's been really, it's been really a, a rough couple of days, to be honest with you. Um, but hopefully now the only good thing you can come of it is that they'll think twice before they do that again because it has kicked off. I think it has struck a chord with people all over the country and, and a lot of local people have um, from different areas of the country uh, with local campaigns for bogs and, and woodlands have been contacting me asking could for advice and how to go about getting their voice heard. And I think that's brilliant in a way like at least that's come from it and maybe we might be able to save other habitats that are under threat do you think this will have an effect on the proposed felling of the ten thousand trees in raccoon that the council are about to do that's a complex one i'm, I'm only after kind of getting into reading it and um, it's very hard to reverse land that's already been zoned for residential mm-hmm. use yeah very hard to reverse it uh, in the plans for that they include a greenway that runs along the river you know, it, it, and we need social housing. We need we need all the amenities that go with that. But personally, and I'm just talking, I, I don't see how the government can sign up to plant a million trees by whatever they, they, they said for the next 20 years or whatever. And they have a place on government land that has torn itself into, I've, I've only seen I've just been looking at some of the photographs and seeing some of the reports of some of the wildlife that's spotted there. It's, again, miraculously torn itself into a native woodland. Why not buy monoculture grassland or farmland of somebody in the, in the area and leave that place as it is? Why not? We have, we have, we're not in extremely difficult times at the moment. Surely to God we have, and surely to God it will save. It would save money in planting those some of those million trees that Leo Varadkar was talking about. Surely that would save money because you could put them. You could actually put those trees that are already there into part of that implementation uh, plan. And also, it's a climate sink. It's a natural woodland. It's not Sika spruce monoculture. It's it's got so much going for it. It, it just that sort of stuff just is just I don't understand it. It'd be better if the council maintained their lands that they have lying around and keep trees and animals off them altogether. Because then you don't have this heartbreak of leaving it there for twenty years and, and thirty years and it becomes a wilderness, it's a beautiful wilderness, and then they go in and steamroll it. 
and everybody's everybody suffers, especially nature. Forget feel, about all that. It feels like we need know? a long term plan and that encompasses our greenlands and our ecosystems. Thanks a million for joining us today. That has been phenomenal and a great insight and keep up the good work and hopefully you get to get back out there and get digging. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time. Carly Bailey is a counsellor in South Dublin County Council. Uh, She is in the, uh, the Sock Dams and she's in studio because we want to talk about this distinction between council management or executive and the council as a collection of elected councillors. A lot of the time um, people have this perception that basically councils are run by councillors, that councillors are making all the decisions, that they're kind of instructing people to carry out different things. So when something happens like the destruction of um, this wetlands in Tala, people go for the councillors and they're not necessarily looking at the people who aren't elected um, who are essentially running the the councils really and seem, now you can correct me on this Carly, seem to have a lot more power um, than individual councils or you know, subcommittees of councillors or... um, Any elected officials. Yes. Um, And so after the well actually let me ask you first, from your point of view what happened with the wetlands in Tala? Why did this place that um, people kind of seeking to preserve it who were communicating with um, the council about protecting it did another part of the council or maybe it was the same part of the council um, council workers dump these tons of silt destroying thousands of animals and wildflowers and all that Well the reality is I don't technically know any more than anybody else who has seen that public statement that's been released Um, I have made inquiries I've obviously sent in communications any more than to be fair to all of the local councillors have all been um, completely really distressed by this do you know what I mean it's a really upsetting thing to see Um, and I think I need to qualify all of this with the fact that I'm a newly elected councillor so I've come in since May and I'm on the learning I'm learning on the job as we go as well as anybody else like but the reality is that for the most part, we don't really understand what the, the day-to-day runnings of the, the council are. We are essentially part-time councillors. We have, like in particular, my uh, electoral area, there's around about 50,000 people. There's seven councillors to look after those 50,000 people. We're there to represent, I suppose, their, their interests and their, to advocate on behalf of them. So you're looking at about one councillor to every seven citizen with every seven person living in the country. Um, when you look at, compare that to other European countries, it's, it's quite, it's quite extraordinary. So every 7,000? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, sorry, one to seven. So, oh, so yeah, 7,000. Oh, sorry, the yes, ratio. Right, yeah, okay, the ratio yeah, is yeah, one yeah. to seven, exactly. So, um, we're already under pressure there from the get-go. Um, there's one particular rankings um, who looked at that and I think we're like second last in terms of how we are compared to other countries in that respect, our representative um, features and stuff. So, no, I knew nothing about it. Um, I still don't really know anything about it. Anything that I've learned has been from the likes of Collie and um, some of the more local councillors to Tala who've been able to kind of let us know what's gone on 
our understanding is that this was something that they were doing over a period of time and it's actually essentially how the wetlands was developed I think in the first place because silt is quite nutrient rich is my understanding um, and the reason why they tend to dump it so close to these um, lakes is because obviously if they're gathering up a lot of stuff from the lake they're also gathering up a lot of the, the, the wildlife that was actually within that so I think it's to kind of keep them close enough obviously there's rubbish and stuff and all the rest of it as well in that but the prior um, work was that they would just then flatten that and that would be that the end of it and it seems to me as if there has been a miscommunication or no communication between the people who seem to be in agreement that we needed to protect this um, as far as I'm aware the biodiversity officer was absolutely overjoyed by this they were really really into it you know this is a bit that I think that's got me so upset is because all of my interactions with the council staff up to now has said to me or shown to me that they really do care about this stuff like it's not it's not, I don't think that they don't. I mean, there is de- definitely issues. I've had different things going on with uh, glyphosate spring and stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's kind of it's, it's all connected, but it's all it's all there. But I mean, there definitely seems to be um, a passion on behalf of some of those staff to make sure that we do what we can here to protect our, our, our natural environments. Um, so this has been a case of, I think, plus potentially that hasn't been communicated to the people who are doing that work on the ground. Perhaps, and I don't know, like, I mean, this mm. is the thing, we still don't know for sure. I've called for an investigation as of, as of other councillors. Um, but I mean, if it is that something along those lines, and even if it isn't, the point of, is, if you've got people on the ground doing work, either, whether they're digging up, whether they're cutting, whether they're spraying, whether they're um, doing tree analysis or investigations, anything like that, those people, in my view, need to have the adequate training to understand what they're looking at. And that, like, a piece of ivy is very different to a yew tree and not just cut and not understand what it is that they're looking at and not understand the value and the loss of what they're doing. Um, and I don't think what we have at the moment reflects that kind of knowledge um, and skill set. Um, we can't get away with that anymore, I don't think, you know. You mentioned the biodiversity officer there and I want to ask, like, what different aspects of the council were involved in conversations and the, you know, from from actually, like, uh, preservation to the people who then ultimately dump this silt. Like, who are these people? What are these departments? Like, what different arms of the council would be involved in something like the wetlands thing? Because I'd well, say a lot of people don't know the councils have, like, biodiversity yeah, officers, I mean, for example. I'll be honest, I'm still learning. This is the thing. I mean, they, they, there are devolved functions that the councils look after. Some of them are looked after by council members that are elected, and some of them are looked at, well, actually, most of them are looked after by uh, the unelected executive um, officials. Um, so that particular area is, is from what I imagine would be under public realms environment uh, that would look after that and there'd be a whole host of, of different um, departments within that then as well and so there would be some crossover I would imagine with this so you've got a biodiversity officer which is fantastic I think that's a fairly new post is my understanding too um, whether I suppose that's the thing. It, it's all well and good having these things in theory, but in reality and in practice, what way are they communicating across departments? I mm. suppose is, is the big question that we need to find out and then ask. You know, it's, it's great, great. We've got a biodiversity office, but this has happened. You know, how how did that happen? How was that allowed to happen? Do you know what I mean? The so, fact, though, that the councillors seem to be as in the dark mm-hmm. as the people on the ground, it, there's like there's this complete lack of communication. And that seems to be the main problem. Yeah, the, like, there, what is the setup that is allowing this allowing miscommunication to happen? To happen? What, my understanding is that there was a meeting with the very local councillors that would be um, of the electoral area where the Sean Walsh Park is, is included. Um, and there was a meeting, I, think, I believe, yesterday and uh, they were given, I don't think they were given any more necessary information per se, but I think there was definitely, um, what I'm hearing is that the council staff that were there were very 
very apologetic about what happened and have indicated that they're going to try and find out exactly what happened. If, if there's anything that could be done to rectify, I'm not sure if there actually is at this stage, but perhaps there are some things that can be done to make this better or at least definitely making sure it could never happen again. And not just here, but in any of our areas. I mean, South Dublin uh, as a county is very diverse. We have mountains, we have urban sprawls, we have loads of different things going on. We've, we've rivers and puddle, or, you know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So there's a lot to look at here um, and make sure that we're, we're making we're looking after all of that like but I mean they have been given some some information I don't think that was a, a specially convened meeting or anything that just happened to be a local area committee meeting um, to my mind for something as, as, as important as this and something that really did gain national attention and rightly so we should have been um, brought together um, or at least offered the opportunity to have some kind of a briefing to, to, to outline what's happened my, I'm really genuinely really really disappointed with the public statement that they put out Yeah, I mean I was blown away by that actually I think one of the things particularly with the Sock Dems something that we're very um, strong about is accountability and I have so much more respect for somebody who's made essentially a fuck up sorry for want of a better word but has messed up has, has made a big error and put their hands up and gone sorry do you know what? I did this. This is how it happened. This is what I'm going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. I have far more respect for somebody who will actually do that because we all make mistakes. Things happen. That's just the reality of, of human condition and all the rest of it. But what we don't have in this country is any accountability at any level, whether they're elected or not, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not sure even if they were elected, would there be any accountability? Would it make a difference? I don't know. We've seen all of the recent scandals of late, like what's happened in any other time or day that would bring down a government, any stretch of the imagination. Do you know what I mean? Mm. The fact that we're we're even just thinking about that, but there is no accountability. There is no responsibility. There is no single person that seems to be able to go, actually, do you know what? Book stops with me. There's also no transparency. Yeah. And I think this is a, a, a thing that people... so. When there is no transparency, when an entity, let's take the um, the council, the South Dublin County Council in this instance, when an entity is not actually saying what's happening, even to the people who are actually in the council of it. And who have to answer to people who are yes. sending in lots and lots of making calls and an email, yeah. rightly so. And when they then communicate in a fucking terrible way. Yeah. I mean, that statement was just appalling. I mean, words, salad absolute nonsense and then not apologising not saying what happened it's like the desilting and cleaning of lakes is essential for improving it's like do you know what else is essential this wetlands that you just destroyed Um, so no transparency very poor communications as you're saying no accountability the problem with the coalescence of those three things is whether it's true or not People then on the outside assume corruption. They assume incompetence. They assume all those things. And it can continue. And I said, like I was just saying to you before we came in, like for somebody like me who isn't from political background, I'm a regular, normal person where politics happened to me and I've had to stand up and I've had to do something to try and make it better for my kids because I just I can't cope with it the way the way things are at the moment. But it, I'm also getting accused of having taken brown envelopes for what happened. You know, we've still got that massive hangover from local politicians that were taking cash mm. for making sort of really, really awful decisions around planning and stuff like that. So very much of the power that's been, and we did have more power as local accounts up until re- more recent. In 2014, they did a massive load of reform for local government. But 
the, the power has been going back to central government over quite a long time, but particularly since 2014. And that is on the back of the fact that these councillors were absolutely corrupt beyond belief. I mean, I felt so uncomfortable running for election as a councillor. The idea of being called a councillor, it makes me feel uncomfortable because everything about it is such a negative connotation with it. Like, And I suppose I'm trying to, and, and others like me, we're trying to sort of show there are decent people out there who have got integrity and will just do what they need to do. But there is a massive hangover and legacy from that. But all of our power then got cut as a result of the bad behaviour of some of these people, which a system that allowed them to do this. I mean, that's the reality. The other side of it is because we've got so little power, what happens is then when something is going on, when you're having an interaction with, say, a a public service or, or whatever it might be, they're on to me or they're on to the TD more often than not. For a very basic normal run of the day run of the mill stuff maybe it's it's they've applied for a carer's benefit or, or something and I don't have anything to do with that but I do have access to the, the, the people that do deal with that even though that's got nothing to do with my remit but what's happening is TDs are getting caught up with their constituency work along these lines where people just cannot access basic services without huge bureaucracy huge difficulty huge amounts of just red tape and stuff that just kind of gets in their way so instead of our leg- legislators our TDs legislators legislating and creating policy that makes this country better, that makes it better run, that looks to the future. They're constantly, and they will say it themselves, TDs, that they have to prioritise their constituency work over their doll work Mm -hmm. because of the amount of stuff that's coming their way. And the system currently is set up and stacked that way because it benefits them. Because if they're seen to have done the road or if they're seen to have put in this, that and the other into the local area, they're more likely to get elected. I mean, this is the age old um, thing around TDs doing the work of councillors and then councillors doing whatever they can and nobody actually doing any national politics um, but I was just wondering like what do you think the solution is like do we need um, a rethink around local government in in Dublin like do we need the councillors to the councils to be reconsolidated into one council which it was once upon a time um, do we need um, at a national level do we need a minister for Dublin for example do we need the councils um reorganised in that they have very clear and designated departments with essentially you know a cabinet um, with heads of planning housing culture etc named known um, potentially elected um, and and unanswerable the answerable thing is the problem that there's who are these management executives answerable to because it's very hard to find out and they seem to be doing their own business rather than the business of everyone else Mm -hmm. Um, I think certainly there is a huge argument about complete reform over local government. Um, The way it works, to my mind right now, doesn't work. If you look at Dublin in particular, the fact is, as you're saying, there isn't anybody to hold to account. We're looking at, say, like the the, the planning stuff that's going on at the moment. We've got Dublin 8's getting clogged with student housing accommodation. Tala Central is getting clogged with with, uh, apartment buildings. We need all of these things. We need hotels too, but we're getting, you know, an absolute concentration of them in the wrong one spot. And if we don't have all four local authorities talking to one another, and from what I can tell, they definitely aren't, aren't. then you're going to have this. There's no one, there's no direction 
mention there's no big picture thinking over Dublin as a city how the, I mean, first, I mean we've anybody who's been anywhere else in the world like Dublin's tiny like isn't it it's tiny does it need four local authorities who aren't all talking to one another to be looking without after our citizens without a plan like there there's is no, no plan. direction it's there like, really isn't how can we yeah. have this city that's evolving so fast that there's no one who's going guys we need a plan in place to exactly. see where we're going here exactly. it's absolutely bananas I think there is definitely a case for a directly elected mayor because that person then is held accountable um, there's pros and cons to all of these things and there's lots of arguments as to why something may or may not work but I think we definitely need to, to do something about this I mean there's been talk about it for a very long time but it's just been put on the back burner any more than Shannon reform or you know whatever has it's just being ignored because it suits them it suits the status quo at the moment to leave it the way it is but it's not suiting our country and it suits because the councillors are getting all the blame exactly. you've got this management group who are doing what they want and are like put in another hotel put in another hotel and the, even in the Richard Shakespeare comment the other day it was like well this motion has passed but we're not going to change it anyway because we're in charge and it's like how is nobody pulling these people up because there's nobody to pull them up because they're answering to no exactly. one exactly like there was like say in our case so last year and I wasn't there obviously there was a motion or maybe it's the year before in the last couple of years anyway there was a motion in from the councils that there was agreement across the board that glyphosate wouldn't be used in relation to road maintenance in South Dublin County Council right and it's been pretty clear and obvious that they're still being used. So I put in a question to the chief executive. Basically, I'm told because they're outsourcing so much of their what they would have done themselves in, in previous gen- generations, they're outsourcing much of that work now. But the motion apparently doesn't extend to the people that they've contracted the work out to. So they're still using it. You know, and you're like, do, well, do they know about that motion? Oh, like, is the, is like, how is that like, you know... How am I supposed to know who does what where? You don't tell me. And I mean, and that's the thing. As I said, my interactions with, with mo- some of the officials that I've been dealing with in South Dublin County Council, I'll be very honest with you, have been really good. And I've actually been able to do a lot of good work for sort of individuals on housing problems and stuff like that over the last while. That's all unseen work. That's not something I'm going to toot my horn about because that's private and that's de- that tends to be very difficult stuff that's going on. So the other side of it then is I don't want to... Uh, to ruin my relationship with them because mm. I am getting some stuff done I'm getting good work done I'm getting people housed or not housed that, that to, but just put it this way councillors do not provide houses to people <laughs> and any councillor who tells you that they can is lying just putting that out there but you know there are certain things we definitely can try and help move on or try and push forward or whatever um, but, th- but that's the reality that's what we're faced with it's a part time gig it's 17 grand a year. I know everyone's like, you're on the gravy trail, you're on this, that, the other. I don't have any other work. Like, I can't afford my rent and I'm a counsellor. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I still have to get help. Um, like, that's that's my reality. Mm. Like, you know? So, I mean, I can resonate and I can I can uh, empathise with so many other people in my constituency, which is brilliant and it's perfect. It means I can actually represent a group that are very largely unrepresented, particularly at local government level. But that's what we're facing, really. The reality is that a lot of the decisions are taken at executive level. The the legislation that goes back to 2014, it's quite clear over what our reserved functions are as councillors as compared to executive uh, functions. Uh, we cannot and do not and should not interfere in that work. So unfortunately, until government or when government decides to amend that or reform that, I don't have any say over. Say, for example, um, making sure there's enough staff to check about vacant houses in our constituency. Like there, there's one person who's doing about four or five different jobs. One of them is supposed to be that. 
you know mm. I mean the reality is that's not just clearly not yeah. going to happen is it but I can't do anything about that do you and know I feel that really perilous in that regard you know I've come up with a um, while you're speaking I've come up with a plan for Go reform <laughs> of all local government in Dublin so this is what I think should happen I should think right now before before everything is fixed that there should be um, a, a minister for Dublin established who who actually um, liaises with all the councils to create a plan for the city okay yeah um, I think then that basically there should be like massive um, r- like a year long uh, kind of consultation and ideas fest on consolidating all of the councils and how they would actually be one council for Dublin with the different kind of departments maybe for different areas um, and then that there would be a directly elected mayor for that that who would establish um, qualification based um, department heads like a cabinet type thing for all of the different things who would be a councillor so that person would be directly elected and then they would have to name their executive based on all of the people who already work in local government or hire new people based on expertise and then basically if you had a system whereby all of the councillors are elected but then if there was a parallel people's council that basically met like every like two or three months or whatever in the kind of town hall way that they do in the US which you know oftentimes can just be people shouting at each other or just an episode of Parks and Rec but like could (laughs) but but also allows people to actually feed into what's happening in the council and then that would take the form of kind of a citizens assembly thing where people could make recommendations and there so there would be like communication there and then the things that would be actually flowing from that and happening wouldn't just be like firefighting um, issues but would be how people actually want their communities to be serviced and evolved for the next 50 to 100 years yes so that's what I think I think we need an organisation chart for that because that is very hard to get your head around but it sounds good the difficulty (laughs) for that is that you're looking at parties that are looking at um, election cycles as opposed to long term thinking I mean that that that's where the downfall is. Yeah, Straight, I that, mean there that. could be there could be an argument for not having political parties run for local government. Yep. Like I mean there could be an argument for just having independent people because if it's a proxy for, you know, um political parties for example to, you know, have like play little power games or or whatever. I mean we've we saw like, you know, Sinn Fein made such a big deal of having so much so many councillors or whatever, but like what has Sinn Fein been doing? for the past four years in Dub- on the Dublin Councils for example um, so well I'm sure they'd argue that they've done lots but yeah well <laughs> I mean they I mean look at the state of the city um, so I think that there is probably an argument for excluding political party members from local government I know that sounds maybe a bit radical but I think I think there's absolutely scope for that but then you have to think about um, sort of private versus pu- well private versus public sector and pay and stuff like that as well like I mean the reality is we can't attract people into consultant work and, and all, like loads of different posts in public sector at the moment because wages really aren't very competitive compared to the private sector mm. so there's you know but like you could I mean, there's loads of different things you could look at here yeah, to you make might this just better get like a lot I think of narcs the um. main thing we need <laughs> is a 50 to 100 year plan that's yeah, it. And if we can get buy in from every other person, be it when they should be elected, onto this long term plan, we wouldn't be seeing these short terms and knee jerk reactions to things that are happening and to just carry favour for that immediate future rather than how we want our city to look and I can't and feel and yeah. behave. And I can't believe that we don't have a plan for our city 
going forward and the fact that we have planners in place who don't think that's bananas is bananas. Well, I suppose we kind of do in that each local authority will have like their development plans and stuff like that. But they're that's their own. Plan. They're their own. And it's not a big picture thinking. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's where the difficulty is. And it's not is. rooted in ideas either. It's and, and an awful lot of the time, like let's say going back to the development plans around the Docklands, for example, and it, doing all the SDZs and it's going to be like, there's going to have to be culture, creative spaces in this thing and blah, blah. You can have plans coming out the yin-yang, but yes, they yeah. are completely overridden all the time well, and, and once recession ends yeah, yeah. exactly you find and, out what they feel is important absolutely yeah. and then the developer led um, stuff comes into play but what Carly we just really want to thank you for coming in and with such honesty talking about how your experience in the council has been and also how these things work and we do need more people who are willing to actually t- talk about this and, and inform people on a, on a level that is very real so really appreciate um, your input well, thanks and, for having me and you know, hopefully, I don't know what can be salvaged with the wetlands in Tala. I was actually so upset when I saw that video from Colleen. You're just looking at this mm. compacted mud like it's the fucking fourth day of oxygen or something. It, it'll come back, I suppose, is my only 20 thing. 20 years time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the only thing that's keeping me going with it, really. That but it, it will, will come, come back, back if, it, if it's left. Provided it's it, There's a plan. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to watch and see what happens there. Yeah. Carly Bailey, um, councillor uh, on South Dublin County Council for the Sock Dams. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. And now that we've had all those discussions, it's important to talk about what you can actually do. Um, first up is sign the petition to save uh, the four districts, Woodland, Habitat and Raccoon, where they're due to have the 10,000 trees felled um, and have the forest area rezoned to open space which would be ideal and obviously Collie was saying it's very difficult but as he says if you don't kick up a fuss and try to save every twig nothing will change Rezoning is difficult but like they do it It's not impossible They do it fast enough when they actually there's money to be made from something Also interesting Louise Bruton wrote an article I said it like my mum there Well they do it fast (laughs) enough there's money to be made Louise Bruton wrote a very good article about um, how buildings have protection in place when they're trying to make them accessible but the minute that there is money to be made or development happen that uh, rezoning can happen very fast Yep. Uh, you can ca- contact not just your councillors but contact the management of the council when communicating with the council at as it's these people who have the power and hold the power and make the decisions. Um, so just look into it a little bit more and see who your management and executive of your council is and don't just hold the councillors to effect. Create your own wild ecosystem by not mowing grass, planting wild seeds and let nature take its course. Vote for the change you want to see in the world. Sounds easy peasy, but if you're not out voting at local elections and general elections, you can probably get in the sea. I would like to add subscribing to the Dublin Enquirer is a really good move. It's my favourite. Because they have such good um, uh, council news um, articles and they really go into local issues um, in great depth. So subscribe to Dublin Enquirer or just pick up a coffee. Or coffee? I need to pick up a coffee, clearly. Pick up a copy um, if you aren't subscribing the whole year round. And it's, it's, so, it's, so, it's very affordable. Do you know what else is affordable? supporting us on Patreon um, if you like what we are doing and we are putting our heart and soul into this we could really appreciate your support so please do visit us on patreon.com forward slash United Ireland for the price of three euro you could be part of our gang we're cheap <laughs> <laughs>
So, it's time to talk about getting in the sea. This week for me, it's a wide and casting net of the death of logic. And this was sprung when I went in to a large money into my sister's account in Bank of Ireland. I'm getting into very details here, but it was so frustrating. And I went into the branch and A, there was no people there to talk to, all machines, and it wouldn't let you put money into a Bank of Ireland account in a Bank of Ireland branch in any of the machines. Eventually, I found a person. I was like, sorry, I just want to lodge this money into this bank account that is in this bank. And they were like, no, sorry, you can't do that here. Sorry, what? That's bananas. So then I had to run across town like a maniac into another branch. And there was a, I found a person there going, hi, I just want to lodge this money into a Bank of Ireland account. And they're like, oh, yeah, there's a machine for that. And then someone else is like, I'm trying to do that as well. And somebody else is like, I'm trying to do that. People want this service. Actually, three people. So we went down to the machines. I went to the one that worked, lodged the money in. The other woman was like, it won't work. And it's like, oh, it's actually just in this machine. It was like, that makes absolutely no sense. And I was like, so that money's in her account now, right? She's like, oh, it'll probably be closed business. And I was like, what? I just want to put the money in her account and she needs it right now. She's like, no, it's actually going to be closed business. And eventually it worked out that it went, did go straight in eventually. But the fact that you can, that we're like, Automation is taking over the world, but it's actually not actually facilitating any services. We need to start having a look at the type of society we live in. And I want to talk to people. I want people to be able to do the services that they're meant to provide. And if I'm singling out a bank for this, I'm sorry, but it's in absolute bits and it can get in the sea. Well said. Now... (laughs) <laughs> what are my, your fave bits, Una? <laughs> so my fave bits, having missed all of uh, Dublin Fringe Festival, which I heard was only deadly loads of... Um, it was the best. Yeah, loads, oh, of, loads so of good vibes good. coming out of that. Um, Dublin Theatre Festival is going to be my jam for the next two weeks and um, looking forward to seeing loads of stuff yeah. at that. So there's lo- like Fault Line is one that I really want to see. It's a, a new production about um, kind of queer vibes in the 80s. I'm going to see Pike Street. I'm going to see Playboy of the Western World. Una Murphy is directing. It's so amazing that she's she's just going from strength to strength. Yeah, and fair taking over her. the gaiety. Um, Go Una. So I'm yeah going to see loads of stuff there. So uh, check out their festival program. My other fave bit has been um, the response to the stuff that I've been writing about Dublin. This is very self-indulgent, but I just want to call it out because um, loads and loads of people have been getting on to me about the writing that I've been doing over the past few years on Dublin. Um, I think the penny's dropping with a lot of people with regards to what's happening in the city centre around obviously there's been conversations for ages about like hotels and all that kind of stuff but it re- there really is a massive coalescence of it now and 2020 is going to be kind of wild because there's a lot of stuff planned to open and be built and be knocked down um, but I'm kind of blown away by the amount of people who've been getting in touch with me and not just readers or, or people being like yay well done writing about this but a lo- also a lot of people that this is affecting um, a lot of small business owners and people who are running different spaces and stuff like that and the mad thing is not just in the city centre it's people experiencing similar patterns of um you know, very developer-led gentrification in the suburbs as well, which I find kind and of wild. around the country. Yeah, so I, it's it's been very, um, especially when you're away and loads of people are contacting you about something that's happening at home. Um, it gave me a lot of 
pause for thought and reflection and I want to thank everyone for getting in touch and also for all the people giving us good vibes about what we're doing on this podcast as well which you can support on patreon.com forward slash United Ireland my other fave bit is Ireland Music Week is coming up formerly known as Hard Working Class Heroes Festival loads of deadly music happening um uh, on that so get your tickets it starts on the 1st of October and during the festival I am doing a talk uh, very related to what I was just talking about called Are We Demolishing Dublin? How Can the City Protect Creative Spaces at this pivotal moment? So I'm going to moderate it and speaking at it is Sharon Green who was on the podcast before and you may remember her as the woman who runs Dublin Flea. Rebecca Moynihan the Dublin City Councillor for the Labour Party who's always on top of this kind of stuff. And she's the one along with Claire who put forward the motion to uh, halt hotels in favour of creative spaces that was happening this week. Correct. And also Daryl O'Donoghue who's an architect um, and actually the architect leading the U2 Museum and Visitor Centre so we're going to be talking about how um, creative spaces can be built and also um, how what's happening with regards to the pattern of demolition in the city. So if you go to IrelandMusicWeek.com you can check out when that talk is on. It's on October 4th at 2 o'clock somewhere. I should probably know that but just go to the website and then you'll figure it out. How great was that and how informed am I? Off you go Andre. <laughs> My favourites I watched Living With Lucy which was uh, Barry Calhoun Ke- in LA and it was just such a lovely episode of heartwarming uh talent um excitement and what the future can hold and it just I would urge people to have a look at it it was a really nice piece of TV and sometimes we mock TV a lot and I just think there was a lot of warmth and goodness and it was just beautiful I just thought it was really well made and warm and nice and just sometimes you just need nice do you know um also Culture Night was phenomenal I thought it was Um, Great to see so many people out supporting all the stuff. It would be great if people remembered that Culture Night is not just for one night and to use your money and time to support these institutions and people who are trying to make shit happen throughout the year and not just on one night. And whilst it's great to highlight all that's happening on this night, do remember that the rest of the year there's another 364 days. Um, And something worth supporting is the newly opened Museum of Literature um, that is on Stephen's Green and it is absolutely gorgeous. It uh, links the garden links to Ivy Gardens. It's absolutely beautiful. There's been some gorgeous uh, exhibitions curated so definitely do take time to pop in and they've a lovely restaurant that has just gotten a really good review as well so loads of good shit there and then lastly I don't know if I can call something that I haven't read my fave bit but I've ordered it from the gutter shop so I'm going to collect it today Um, and it's called The Irrational Ape and I just came across it on Twitter and it's all about motivated reasoning and I it was talking about why people were against the ideology of Greta and her climate change and this man Dr David Robert Grimes is a science writer and he goes in to talk about how sometimes facts 
can never go up against ideology and that we spent and this is what he actually said he says it much more eloquently than me he was like when we're faced with a challenge to our deeply held ideology we've two choices adapt to new information or deny it outright and the problem is that the former option is very hard to admit our personal philosophy and beliefs might be flawed or require modification is cognitively expensive um, to de- reject, deflect and deny, that's cheap and easy. And the rejection or acceptance of evidence to suit our preconceived notions. And I think this is one thing that I spend so much of my time trying to do and putting myself in the other person's position. Why do they think like that? And I think it's it's obviously the basis of empathy. But I think when we look at one of the quotes that he uses is man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Thank you, Paul Simon. Uh, but... <laughs> I think it's a really interesting concept and the more people who are open to it and reading about it, I think will provide a better discourse in situations where we're not just hot headed about I want this. It's thinking about how we are all a society of different people and how we can all work together like a jigsaw. I love jigsaws. <laughs> I okay, don't. by the way, my um that that talk are we demolishing Dublin October fourth at two PM in Lost Lane. Uh, just off Grafton Street. Apparently there's great news coming from Lost Lane as well about new club nights that are about to kick off. Um, Nyler Nine was reporting on it yesterday and how exciting it is to have good club news. And actually, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent. There are so many clubs that are doing great stuff. There's the Strawberries that's about to launch, Club Comfort and their statements about what clubbing is and the culture impact that it has from what they do. Um, There is just grace. There's just so many amazing things popping up and I know we talk about and give out about how clubbing is dying and all this stuff but the people who are behind putting all this stuff on and making things happen and having the chats and there was an amazing uh, piece of conversation between a councillor Mannix Flynn and Emmett from Homebeat um, there's just so many people who are really out there fighting for the good of the club thank you Cocos I also heard <laughs> that the um, Ben Clock in uh, Jam Park the other night was phenomenal fucking amazing so well done Jam Park can't wait to go I'm like sweating to go out there now you I hate know. Raven though I hate it this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan, Castaway Media, with support from Susie, Susie Bennett. Susie Bennett. Oh, wow. You're trying a new one. What about Susie Bennett? <laughs> Not the same. Crystal Clear gave us this tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. You can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying listening, let us know. If you've any suggestions for subjects you'd like us to look at for an episode, drop us a mail or a DM. Sorry this episode is so long. <laughs> but it's really... Uh, anyway. <laughs> Leads us straight on to Tuna Chicken Roll. Now, I actually was very much considering making it the square by Ackle. <laughs> <laughs> because it's actually... It, it, like, it, it has its own merits. However, given the week that's in it and the little note that was written in lipstick on a mirror about someone who's visiting our shores, how could I not make it Celine Dion? And I actually have gone for one of her uh, not as popular songs, but I have to say it is the best Celine Dion song. I love it so much. And there is nothing better than in the middle of a sesh putting it on when everyone is not expecting it and people hate you. But by the end, everyone is singing along in joy because it's an absolute tuna chicken roll. I've been Una Malali. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United United Ireland. Ireland. And that was California.
Spirit takes flight. 